Good morning, church. I'm going to jump right into the series that we are in, the gospel according to Mark. And we have a lot of verses to cover today. So have your Bibles with you. If you have your journals with you ready to take notes, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 2. We're beginning a new chapter already. Mark chapter 2 of the gospel according to Mark. But what we're going to do today is we're going to start at the end. We're going to start at verse 17. We're going to start at the end and work our way back to the beginning of this chapter. So here we go. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus is speaking and he says this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Who is Jesus speaking to in this chapter? And why is he saying what he said? Now I want us to go back. And my prayer this morning as we look at these first 17 verses of Mark chapter 2, my prayer is that we realize that the gospel should be an opportunity and not an obstacle. That we should always, as this church, take every opportunity to lead others to Jesus Christ and not make up obstacles or put up obstacles and prevent others from coming to Jesus Christ. The word opportunity is defined as this, a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. The word obstacle is defined as a thing that blocks one's way or prevents progress. I love what I read when it comes to opportunities. This is what I read. Instead of thinking about what you cannot do, think about what you can do. Use the obstacle as a means to think of creative ways to overcome it. When you hit a wall, find a way to climb over it. And I am adding this, as we're going to see today. Even if there's a roof between you and Jesus, make a hole through it so that you can get to him. So if you're ready, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Let me quickly recap what we covered last week. Now, last week we saw that Jesus was preaching. That's what he came to do. But many were around him because many had come just to see or be healed by Jesus. And so a paralytic, a man who is, I mean, a, a leper, a man who is covered with, with leprosy from, from head to toe, comes to Jesus through the crowds begging we read that he was on his knees begging Jesus. And he says this, Jesus, if you will, if it's you, your will, I know you can make me clean. And then moved with compassion, we read that Jesus touches this man. And with one touch, immediately, this man is healed. But then Jesus tells this man, do not say anything. Don't say a word to anyone about your healing. And then he also tells him this, go to the priest, present yourself so that you can have a certificate of being cleansed. And the man disobeys Jesus and he goes out and tells everyone. And here's where we're picking up the story. Verse 1, chapter 2. Of the gospel according to Mark. 
And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, this was not Jesus' house. Many scholars believe that this was Peter's house, the same house in which Jesus healed his mother-in-law. We read about this in chapter 1. And it says that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. This word in Greek is logos. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. He was preaching salvation. He was doing what he came to do. Imagine there was a pretty big house, and this house was packed. Probably the whole town was there. As a matter of fact, as we're going to read later, the religious leaders were there as well, listening to Jesus. It was so packed that no one could come in or go out. Verse 3, and they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near to him, to Jesus, because it was just so packed, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, in ancient times, you usually would have steps outside of a home. People would go on, on top on the roof. It was like a balcony. They would go upstairs to cool off. Maybe they would be grilling while watching the game. I don't know. But they would hang out upstairs. Now, this roof was a pretty thick roof made out of mud and clay and stone. According to the Gospel of Luke, he writes the same incident. And he says that the roof had tiles, tiles on this roof. And these men, realizing that they could not get their friend through the front door, they carried a grown man up the stairs, made a hole, a pretty big hole, and lowered him down on a stretcher. I want us to pause here for a minute, and I want us to imagine us being there, okay? Just imagine if we were there, super packed, shoulder to shoulder, trying to focus on Jesus as he's preaching with authority. All eyes are in, on him. And then all of a sudden from the door, we hear some commotion. We need to get in there. Our friend. He needs Jesus. And we're trying not to pay attention. And we're trying to focus. And then all of a sudden it's quiet. Okay. We're back on Jesus, right? But then it doesn't end there. After maybe a couple of minutes, we start hearing on the roof. Imagine trying to be distracted. Now, some of you get distracted like this. Someone gets up or down and you're like, ah, squirrel. <laughs> Imagine that you hear banging on the roof. While Jesus is preaching and then mud starts coming down. And then not only that, you look up and there's this huge hole. And a man starts coming down before Jesus. Imagine. But I love what happens next. Verse 5a. And when Jesus saw their faith. Faith. In Greek is pistis. That's how you pronounce faith. And the definition of faith is to have complete trust and reliance. To have zero doubt. That's what faith is. 
I love what the author of Hebrews writes about faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please him. Why? For whoever would draw near to God must have faith, must have no doubt that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The faith of these men was demonstrated not by words, but by their actions. Because actions always speak louder than words. And by faith, these men sought out Jesus knowing without a doubt that Jesus was the only one that could heal their friend. These men, they saw an opportunity not an obstacle. They saw an opportunity. But notice that Jesus notices all of their faith, all four of them, not just one, all of them. Jesus realized the faith they had because of all that these men did. Now think about it. We are not told how long they carried their friend, but I'm assuming it was a pretty good distance. Imagine it took four men to carry this man. And when they got to the house, they didn't give up. What did they do? They saw an opportunity. They went upstairs. Again, carrying a man upstairs, that takes strength. That takes sacrifice. That makes you uncomfortable. And when they get upstairs to the roof, they dig a hole. They didn't have a jackhammer and all these electric tools. They dig or make a hole. They lower their friends. They didn't care about the inconvenience. They didn't care of what other people were going to say or thought. All they cared about was their friend. And because they loved their friend so much, they did whatever it took to take their friend to Jesus. Verse 5 again, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now if you're taking notes, write these observations down. I think they're awesome. Now notice, Jesus calls this man, Son. What a term of endearment. He didn't say, Mr. Excuse me, Sir. No, he says, Son. And notice also with authority, no doubt, no question, instantly he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He, Jesus, didn't get upset at these men. He didn't say, what are you doing? I'm trying to preach here. You're interrupting me. What's wrong with you? No. But also notice, he didn't tell this man to get up. Go offer a sacrifice so his sins could be forgiven. Jesus with boldness declared your sins are forgiven. I want you again to imagine with me that we're back there. All right? We're there again. Jesus has just said to this paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, I think we would have heard this. The men on the roof looking down at the hole saying out loud, what are you talking about? We didn't bring him for his sins to be forgiven. He can't walk, Jesus. We want you to have him get up and walk. That's why we're here. That's what we did all this for. We probably would have heard that. 
I'm pretty sure we would have hurt the owner of the house. What? Forgiveness of sins? What are you talking about? There is a hole on my roof. Who's going to pay for that? But I guarantee it, church, that if you and I were there and Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, we would have heard a gasp. Every person in that room would have gone, oh, what? What did he just say? See, every person in that room knew that only one could forgive sins. Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there. Now notice, they were sitting, they were standing, they were the religious leaders sitting all comfortable. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They weren't saying it out loud, they were questioning in their hearts. Verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Bingo, ding, 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 ding. That's why I would say if we were there and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, everybody would have Ah, oh. That's why when the scribes heard, son, your sins are forgiven, the, the scribes in their hearts said, blasphemy. Why? Because everybody knew there that only God could forgive sins. And so everybody freaked out. In the Old Testament church, not once do you attribute Messiah to be able to forgive sins. In the Old Testament, what they knew, the scribes, what the people there knew was that God was the only one who could forgive sins. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he was claiming to be God. And the people went, oh, and the scribes in their hearts said, blasphemy. And blasphemy against God was a serious offense. If you, whatever blasphemy, you were to be stoned. Leviticus chapter 24. And this this charge of blasphemy was ultimately what condemned Jesus' life. Because he was a blasphemer, he was crucified. But watch what happens next. I love this. Verse 8. And immediately, there's Mark's favorite word. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he read their minds, he read their hearts, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, he says. To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. He answers their question with a question. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, get up and walk. Now the scribes were probably answering in their hearts, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can say your sins are forgiven, but you don't have any physical evidence. You don't know if someone's sins are actually forgiven. But if Jesus were to heal this man, if he were to get up and walk, you would see that. So most likely the scribes were saying, well, yeah, anybody could say that. Your sins are forgiven. Where's the proof? I love what one commentator writes. He says this, Jesus is making the comparison between forgiving sins which no man can see with their eyes, and healing a paralyzed man, which no one can deny if they saw it. So maybe it was easier to say 
that someone's sins were forgiven. But church, listen, it wasn't easy to forgive sins. About two years later, for Jesus to forgive this man's sins, your sins, and my sins, Jesus had to go to the cross. That is not easy. And when anyone puts their trust in the sacrifice that Jesus took on our behalf because of our sins, when we have faith in him, we trust in that, we have life in him. We are saved. And that cost Jesus his life. So after asking these questions, Jesus is going to demonstrate of the forgiveness of this man's sins by healing him. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, again, if you're taking notes, notice the transitions that have taken place. First, we have this declaration that Jesus does. The declaration of forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven, period. And then we have this declaration question. The scribes start questioning this man who is forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 7. But here in verse 10, we, verse 10, we see the declaration, the proof of this authority of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here Jesus is quoting Daniel 7. He is saying, I am going to show you who this man is who does have the authority to forgive sins here on earth. What Jesus is saying is this. Now you should know that I am the Son of Man who does have the authority to forgive sins. Another way of saying what Jesus is saying is, you are right. I am who you say I am. And I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove that I am the Son of Man. And I'm going to forgive this man's sins. And what does he do? Verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And at once... This man is physically healed. But more importantly, this man is spiritually healed. And a result of all this, verse 12. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Church, if you and I were there at this moment, we would have heard a pin drop. And we would have seen the crowd just split like the Red Sea. This paralytic with joy in his face would have picked up his stuff, walked right through the crowds, out the door, and gone home. And don't miss this. Don't miss the response of every single person there. They were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this and all this happened all the glory came to God why because these four men they saw an opportunity not an obstacle they saw an opportunity not an obstacle verse 13 we read that Jesus 
says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So he goes out again to try to isolate himself. He goes to the Sea of Galilee, but you, could you imagine? Not only has he healed a leper, now he's healed a paralytic. Now he's got more people all around him just to, to come for healing. And then we read this in verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. This is the apostle Matthew. Same guy. He was sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. Now notice the similarities in the fact that Jesus picked Matthew as well like he picked the four apostles we read in chapter 1. Jesus picked them. Jesus picks Matthew. Notice also the response, how they are similar. The four apostles that we read in chapter 1, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. In the same manner, Matthew drops everything to follow Jesus. Doesn't question, doesn't doubt. He is changed, and so he follows him. But there's a huge difference between the apostles in chapter 1 and Matthew here in chapter 2. Matthew was not a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors back in those days were despised. They were hated. And hate is a term of endearment on how they felt towards them. See, you had sinners in the Jewish eyes, a tax collector was below a sinner. They were considered people that had betrayed them. They despised tax collectors. But Matthew, at this point, doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what he has done or what he does. He doesn't question Jesus. What does he do? He rose and followed Jesus. Why? Because here and then Matthew, he saw an opportunity, not an obstacle. He didn't make any excuses of why he shouldn't follow Jesus. He just dropped everything and followed Jesus. Verse 15. And as Jesus reclined at the table at Matthew's house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples, for there were many who followed him. So apparently Matthew invites Jesus over for dinner at his house, or Jesus invites himself. I don't know. But here we see Jesus having a meal with other sinners, other tax collectors, prostitutes. And I love what Matthew writes it says, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples, for there were many who followed him. We could probably gather that Matthew starts inviting some of his kind, the sinners, the not wanted. He probably said to them, listen, Jesus chose me right where I'm at. He's going to choose you to follow him too. Come and check him out. He started inviting others to come to the feet of Jesus and hear from Jesus. Why? Because Matthew, he saw an opportunity, not an obstacle. He didn't make any excuses. He was bold and invited others to come. 
Verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice these religious leaders are asking the disciples. They're not asking Jesus himself. Why does he do that? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Ooh, how dare he? He shouldn't. See, these religious leaders considered themselves to be so righteous that they couldn't affiliate with others. They couldn't affiliate with sinners. If they would come across a sinner, especially a tax collector, and they touched them or whatever, being even close with them, they were to be considered unclean. And so they were offended. How could this rabbi, this teacher hang out with these sort of people? You, like us, should separate yourselves because we're righteous. Back to the beginning of the sermon, how we opened this sermon And the last verse of this sermon, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to these religious leaders, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Who was Jesus speaking to? These righteous religious leaders. Why was he talking to them in this manner because Jesus told them I came not for you I came for them the people around me what is Jesus telling me and you Jesus came for us the sinners and church like the paralytic every single one of us Every single one of us has a a greater need than a physical healing. Every single one of us needs a spiritual healing. Every single one of us needs to have our sins forgiven by the only one who can forgive sins, Jesus Christ. And church, like the tax collector, every single one of us has betrayed Jesus because of our sins. But like the tax collector, Jesus is calling every single one of us where we're at to come and follow him, to be changed by him through the gospel. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, for Christ also suffered once, once for sins. That the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh at the cross, but made alive in the spirit. Did you catch this? The righteous, the only righteous, Jesus Christ, dying for us, the unrighteous. Why? So that he, Jesus, might bring us to God. How? By being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Church, that is the gospel. This is the truth. And this is why the gospel should always be an opportunity, not an obstacle. This is why we as his church need to go out there boldly and declare the gospel. And not make, I mean, not make any excuses, not to put any obstacle before us. We need to go out there and bring others to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to sharing Jesus... When it comes to bringing others 
to a life-changing relationship with him and his church? Do you seek after opportunities or do you put up obstacles? Are you like those four men who brought their friend by faith to Jesus? Didn't see any inconvenience. Didn't, they didn't care of the sacrifice. They didn't care of the cost. They carried their friend to Jesus. Made a hole in the roof so Jesus could heal their friend. Who is that friend in your life? Who is that neighbor? Who is that family member? Who is that co-worker that you can bring to Jesus no matter the cost? Are you seeking for opportunities or do you see obstacles? When it comes to inviting people, do you say to yourself, I already invited them all the time to come to church. They never come, so I'm giving up. Do you say to yourself, what are people going to think? I'm going to talk about Jesus. What are they going to think about me? No way. I'm going to be separated. I'm going to be left out. Let me ask you, are you like the tax collector that has been changed by Jesus and are now inviting others to come and be changed by Jesus? Are you sharing your testimony? Have people seen a change in you that only Jesus could have done? See, church, the gospel should be an opportunity, not an obstacle. We need to stop making excuses. Let me ask you, are you like the Pharisees? Do you consider yourself righteous? Are you, because of your knowledge of the word, being an obstacle to others? Do you judge others? When you come to church and you see someone who has their cap on, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, wow, he's a Christian, but yet look at him, pastor. He's full of tattoos. How could he? I went over to a small group at a friend's house, and before we started the small group, they were jamming out to ACDC, and they're leading a small group. Last week, the pastor of Grace Bible Church said that he wanted to be like Luis Miguel. <gasps> Pagan. I can't believe that they're dressing up their children for Halloween. Have we become too righteous that we're setting the bar up way too high? Are we being a little too legalistic? See, church. Just like Jesus invited these sinners as they were, I know they didn't stay as they were. This is a church that invites anyone to come as they are, but not to stay as they are. You and I don't sanctify anyone. That is the Holy Spirit that moves within them. That changes them. Let's not be an obstacle to that. I love what I read. Chuck Swindoll asked this. And it really spoke to my heart. Do you emphasize the letter of the law to the exclusion of the spirit or the intent of the law? Let me repeat that. Do you emphasize the letter of law to the exclusion, the meaning, the spirit, the heart of the law? Some of us, when we like it or not, are making secondary issues primary and primary secondary. Some of us, 
whether we see it or not, are using God's word to try to control others. Using that out of context. And that's not what the gospel is, church. The gospel should always be an opportunity. Never, never an obstacle. Let me challenge you as we close with two things. I'm going to double dog dare you to do these things this week. First one, invite. Who is that friend of yours, the neighbor, that coworker? Invite them to come to church no matter what it takes. I don't care if you feel inconvenient, whatever it takes. If you need to make a hole in the roof, make a hole in the roof. Just get them to Jesus. Let them hear God's word. Second challenge. Ask God, as the psalmist does, to search your heart. Ask God if you have been an obstacle in any way. Again, maybe you've considered yourself too righteous, judging others. Ask God. Maybe the way you're living is preventing others to come to Christ. When they see you, they don't see any difference. And they say to themselves, they're a Christian. If that's you, ask God to forgive you, to change your ways. If we were to do this this week and accomplish these challenges, church, you know what would happen? Laredo would be amazed. And they would glorify God. And they would say to each other, we've never seen a church like this. Let's be that church. Grace Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who came, stepped out of heaven to meet us where we're at. Your word clearly say, says that we are saved by grace through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Let us share that with others with grace. Father, let us not be too legalistic or think that we're too righteous. Let's go out into the community, Father. There's so many people that need to be spiritually healed. A friend, a co-worker. Let us be that light in this desperate, dark times. Father, I pray that we boldly proclaim the gospel because as your word says, it has the power to save. Let us be a church that you are well pleased, that demonstrates our faith through our actions. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we say all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. Have a blessed week.